everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 42. Click clack. Here's Bryson. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back, as always, to The Big Chill Podcast joined with Sam and Eddie. Sam, I wanted to start with you since you are a Marvel fan and Eddie is not, to put it I'm lightly. <laughs> I was going to say something else about you, but I won't. Did you see I'll probably the also beginning with A. <laughs> did you see the Eternals trailer dropped today? Have you watched it yet, Sam? I have not watched it yet, but I have seen that the teaser trailers come out. It's oh. it's Frank. It's like nineteenth on his list of trailers to watch. It's just every time he goes to load a trailer <laughs> yeah. on YouTube, he still hasn't watched the Saving Private Ryan trailer. That's I was gonna say Saving Private Ryan. Is that <laughs> would that be the ultimate one not to see? Is um, Saving Private no, Ryan as depressing of a trailer as the movie you think? As what movie? As the movie Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, like do you think you get as depressed watching the trailer? <laughs> Like whenever I watch that movie, it's one of those movies that it is an amazing movie and I enjoy watching it. But afterwards, you're just just really not in a good place. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan doesn't depress me that much in the category of war films. The, the scene that just is both my favorite and least favorite moments of all time, right, is the knife scene when they're wrestling with the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one, just because the like picturing a knife slowly sliding inside of your chest is just awful. And I feel like you can kind of feel it as it happens. Yeah, they did a good job. Like that is you're yeah. you're leaving that. It scene is harrowing. Like, oof, oof. It's because of how plus silent can, the whole thing is around them as well. It's just plus yeah, I could totally very... picture myself as the guy chickening out on the stairs. I think that's we we all want to be Tom Hanks in that movie, just like firing a handgun at a tank, but in reality, where the guy <laughs> quietly just hoping no one notices you on a staircase. Yeah. Which they don't, right? They go right by him, don't they? He goes by him and then they he like the, he, the the German like sticks his hands up and then he realizes that the other guy is just a sissy and nothing's gonna happen. And so then yeah. he like says something to him and walks off. Yeah. I love the idea of being a sissy. <laughs> like they're in the middle yeah. of this disgusting battle. <laughs> it's like, get up, you pansy. Well, and then yeah. later on, right, the guy he, he lets go shoots one of the other characters, right? And he sees that. And that's when he kind of snaps into action a little bit. I think I yeah. have that right. But he like, I think he you sees that guy kill another guy. And that's kind of when he sort of stops yeah. being a, yeah. a sissy. I mean, I, I mean, think the only wrong statement you've made there is that we all want to be Tom Hanks because I still want to be Matt Damon. In that movie as well. Because he lives? Because <laughs> he's Matt Damon. <laughs> in fairness, if you give me the script and I get to choose which character I am, I'm picking the one who lives. <laughs> that's that's clear. But he's also younger. He's got that going for him. Yeah. Tom Hanks is a school teacher. So, Eddie, did you see the Eternals trailer? No, I don't even know what it is. Oh, because... It's well, a trailer. I'm just going <laughs> to... The headline, Eddie. figure out it's a trailer. <laughs> You'll love this, Eddie. This is why I brought it up, because I know how much you hate people who love Marvel movies. The headline is, Eternals trailer drops, and Marvel fans label it beautiful. 
<laughs> That's the word that they're using. And then they go to show some quotes. Thank you, MCU, for this. The Eternals trailer is beautiful. Can't wait to see Kit Harrington and Richard Madden together again. Another fan tweeted, how can I go back to work after this? I'm so hyped. The trailer is absolutely beautiful. The poster is beautiful. My life is beautiful. Hashtag Eternals. Hashtag beautiful. The third really one wish... seems unrelated. No, I really wish <laughs> I really wish I was that guy's boss and I just followed his Twitter account. And I would have just been like, don't worry, you don't have to. You're fired. <laughs> and just problem solved for you. The trailer's beautiful. The post is beautiful. My life is beautiful. And then he just replies, but your work is terminated. <laughs> the last one that's great is, y'all, that trailer was so beautiful, I literally cried while watching it. They look so beautiful in their suits. <laughs> Those people are the people that give us normal Marvel fans a bad rap in Eddie's mind. Because I can get excited for the Eternals trailer. I was not crying, thinking it was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> but that's that's when I'm, when I'm critical of people. I'm not really critical. I don't really care what you like. But like when I the reaction I have to comic book hero movies is that is like it's fine to like them. Like there's nothing wrong yeah. <laughs> with wanting to see the new Superman movie and being entertained by watching a Superman movie. Like fine. Unless, but for people who have this emotional reaction as if this is the most important thing in the world and it's a movie that just really bothers me well, I yeah, guess, well the only difference I with this one is it's the woman who directed no man land nomad land she's the director for this so people think it's going to be a lot more artistic and on the level of a beautiful absolutely right beautiful that's what they think all right sam you can tell me why people should be allowed to have this emotional reaction and attachment to a comic. I guess second side of the coin is, you know, comics have been out for a long, 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 long period of time. So there could have been these people reading up on like the Eternals members and the team for 20 plus years, right? And then to see it on the big cool. screen at Tinseltown must be uh, must be a big deal. Or it must be well, nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck uses that term? <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Tinseltown. <laughs> In London town. I'm going to have a bigger <laughs> issue here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Frank a little bit. If you really are a huge, huge fan and you've loved the comics, there is no way that the movie is better than the book or the comics. That's the thing I never would also get is like whatever imaginary world you come up with as you read the comics, even though it's more visual than just a, a normal book, let's say, is no way the movie lives up to that. Yeah, It's like the Harry Potters. Are a good example. I mean, I love the Harry Potter books. The movies were great movies, but the books are still substantially better. Do you think there's ever a time where it's come the other way? So is there ever a time where a book's come out and then you've seen the movie and thought better? Eddie and I have talked about this before, but I have no recollection of what I came up with when we talked about this. <laughs> so I'll give you one like Noah because the Bible was pretty boring so I'll give I'll give like right Noah, to religion any, any passion of the Christ more interesting not great but more interesting than the book so speaking about uh, Christ and Jesus then real superheroes 
combine them all into one. I don't know if you've seen that Cristiano Ronaldo has been going on a little bit of a uh, ego trip on social media oh, today. I've been missing it. How? Oh my god! Don't you follow him? I don't actually follow he him. I don't been... follow him on Instagram. After all this time, you I... don't follow him. <laughs> I can't. Too much. Too much. Too hot. Too hot. While his posts include a picture of him holding a trophy and the caption, I don't chase records, records chase me. And he also posted a picture of him holding a shirt with goat written on the back. And then it says champion in England, Spain and Italy, cup winner in England, Spain and Italy, super cup winner in England, Spain and Italy. Best player in England, Spain, and Italy. Best scorer in England, Spain, and Italy. Over 100 goals for a club in England, Spain, and Italy. Any, has something provoked him? Did someone question him? Like, what's what's happened here? So my guess is that maybe it's a partial reaction because he didn't start for Juventus in their final match of the season. So maybe it's a little bit of a response. I don't know if... People out there kind of claimed in the sense that Juventus sort of winning on the final day and finishing fourth, he didn't have that much to do and and that he'd had a kind of disappointing season. But that's all I can think of. All I see is the picture of the whole team celebrating with him in his underwear. (laughs) Don't know what you're looking at. (laughs) Everyone else is in their jerseys, in their full kits, except he's just in his underwear. It's the most bizarre. That's the Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> only fans. <laughs> Wrong login, Frank. Actually, no. There's there's like two other players with their shirt off, but no one in their underwear. He's the only one. Uh, Even weirder when you consider that he didn't play. So on that note, I guess we should we can wrap up Serie A, right? Which Inter had already won the season, but Juventus won on the final day and Napoli drew, allowing in. Uh, Juventus to overtake them and qualify for the Champions League next year, and AC Milan also qualified for the Champions League. So yeah, I, I mean, I asked this. I guess Ronaldo. I asked this to you guys before, but does it does this change your opinion of whether Ronaldo stays? I think there's no way he would have stayed had they not been in the Champions League. Like I can't imagine Cristiano Ronaldo playing Europa yeah. League football. <laughs> like I genuinely cannot just imagine yeah, playing it. teams like Arsenal. Well, <laughs> well, hang on, <laughs> hang on. We could dare, we can all dare to dream, Frank. <laughs> but yeah, it just makes him more likely to stay. Let's move right on then to Arsenal, who didn't qualify for the Europa League as they were denied by, well, by Gareth Bale, I suppose, and Tottenham, who came from behind to beat Leicester. Spurs qualified for the Europa Conference playoff. Now, I'm not dumbing it down because I would have very much liked that in the scheme of things. And it's a shame being three minutes away uh, with Arsenal's season. And then, yeah, the big news out of England, right, is the top four, which was the more interesting race. And obviously Spurs beating Leicester meant that Leicester dropped out of the top four with Liverpool winning. And Chelsea, who lost to Aston Villa, still managed to sneak into the top four. Um i got two things to say about that. I kind of don't want to pay too much attention to Liverpool, who's managed to <laughs> turn a absolutely catastrophic season into just a kind of mediocre one, I suppose, in the end. But do Leicester get enough criticism for two seasons in a row now, blowing 
a Champions League spot in the final couple of matches. They the last spent more day, time wasn't in the top it? four this season. Wasn't it both times they lost on the well, last day? Both in the last two seasons, they've lost both of their final two matches yeah. to drop out of the top four. And this season, they spent more time in the top four than any other club in England, which is kind of a remarkable statistic. Um, wow. <laughs> and yet have failed and have failed to qualify for the for the Champions League. And obviously, they've had a great season winning the FA Cup. Um, they kind of flopped in the Europa League when they lost to Slavia Prague. And then to, I mean, in a way, they're really lucky they won the FA Cup because the season would not look quite as good. And we obviously had the big club debate a couple of episodes ago. Don't want to reignite that one. <laughs> but do they, if, if Leicester were perceived, but because they kind of are being, oh, you should be happy to even be involved in the top, the race for the Champions League. It's, oh, it's, it's okay that you blew it. It's, I think it's, I think you're bottling it if you do it twice. Um, I do think at some point you may be able to look at their games, right? Spurs had something to play for. I don't know what, I don't know who they, I can't remember who they lost to in the previous week or the previous season. Well, Chelsea in the match immediately before, right? So it's two tough final matches. It's two really tough games just before that, like you say, the FA Cup. So you could probably give them some doubt on that one or at least some leeway in terms of that. And also it's been a close race all the way through. Like I agree that they've been in the top four for a long time, but you go down to even like ninth and there's only seven points between that. You you say that though, Sam, I remember looking at the odds maybe four or five weeks ago and Leicester to qualify for the top four, they were like one mm. to six. And, and you know that again, if, if, if you put Chelsea in exactly the same points position, but with the sort of name recognition of Chelsea as Leicester had been, they would have been like one to 20. Like the only reason I, they were only one to six is because in the back of everyone's mind, it was like, well, it's Leicester. They probably shouldn't qualify for the top four. I think that's kind of an interesting point. The name recognition thing is that they don't get that criticism because the name recognition might not be there yet with them. Like you say, when you now look at the top four, I think that would have been a fairly obvious one to call, actually, in the whole thing. Um, out of all of them at the top, you'd probably say West Ham, maybe, are the biggest surprise. Maybe swap, like, regardless of what you think of, like, Spurs' Arsenal season. If you put West Ham down to, like, seventh or eighth, the top seven or eight would look almost as expected, which didn't for a lot of the season really didn't look like that. There was going to be some more surprises. So I think Chelsea, I, I think Chelsea's name makes them feel like that's more natural. Whereas Leicester, because it's a more recent thing, you almost give them more excuses. So it's like, oh, it's a recent club. Oh, they had the FA Cup to focus on. But you then look at the problems they had. It's not like they don't sign a ton of players, spend a ton of money. And yet they do get beaten in these games like Europa League, Slavia Prague, the Champions League performances and all that. Like, when do you, when do you criticize them for blowing it like they did? Yeah, maybe next season. I will say, let's just give ourselves an opportunity to pat ourselves on the back a little bit here because, Sam, I, th I think we all picked City to win the league as our preseason prediction. And then, Sam, you and I picked yeah. as the, the team we expected to have the most, the kind of biggest drop in form is Sheffield United. So to have picked a team that had a good last season and then finished rock bottom, a couple of good calls there. And I think we all had United in the top we three. We did, and I even said that United would finish above Liverpool. 
That was your hot take. Uh, yeah. yeah. That was my hot take for the season. In the end, it looks a little closer than it felt for the final six months of the season. So yeah. I think we all did pretty well. I'd be interested to go back and kind of put together the tables that we laid out. But I think fundamentally, we most of our predictions were correct. I think one of my hot takes as well is that Leeds would have a good season and wouldn't be near the relegation fight. So it's, I mean, it's interesting to see them above Everton as well, considering the plaudits that Everton have received this season with Ancelotti. No, I think we did we did a pretty good job. So we'll have to now pressure will be on to see if we can repeat that uh, accuracy in predictions next season. Yeah, I have to say too, it was it was fun watching the the final day for that final spot because amazingly, I don't know how the US was able to manage this because they never have fucking matches on, but they had every match that mattered for that fourth spot on. So I was able to kind of go back and forth and I watched most Mostly I watched Spurs Leicester and it was a really good match. I mean, Leicester had any, every chance to win that match. I mean, well, they were winning for a good portion of it. And even when it went, what was it? Two, two. Yeah. They had a few good chances. And uh, I mean, I thought they were actually going to score again and win and they ended up, ended up losing, but it was, you know, that's why I don't, I don't know how much you can get on them about that because that was a game. It's not like they were terrible in that match. Well, let me flip it then. And let's really look at their final few matches. So, okay, we'll excuse them losing to Spurs, who had something to play for and are a good team. And on paper, it's a very even matchup, I would say. Then, okay, they lost to Chelsea in the match before, which, tough one. They beat United in the match before that, but that's when United rested half their team. So they they beat the United reserves 2-1. (laughs) <laughs> in the previous match, they lost 4-2 to Newcastle, which if you're kind of really looking at when did they blow it, it's actually in the, the two matches before the United match where they lost 4-2 to Newcastle, and 4-2 actually flatters them because it was 4-0 until like the 85th minute. And then they drew one all with Southampton. And Southampton where is the were... FA Cup, though, in, in those the FA Cup was before their final two matches. So just before Chelsea. So they played them like three days before they played them again? Yeah. And they played United they played the United Reserves four days before they played the FA Cup final. Okay. But so it wasn't they so, so those losses can't be you can't say they were that. resting. No. Yeah, that's not very So good that's then. where you would say, okay, they had some tough you know, over the course of their final few matches, they played City, West Ham, United Chelsea, Spurs. So they played some tough matches, but to have dropped three points to Newcastle, two points to Southampton. Three points out of their last five. I mean, that's not a good way to end it. Yes. And that was playing against the United Reserves, a match that literally United handed to them. You know, like, so in a sense, in in another scenario for Manchester United, like if, if the Manchester United supporters hadn't decided to invade the pitch out of a match against Liverpool, then we can be even looking at Leicester being three points worse off. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of Leicester fans that would swap that FA Cup for the Champions League? Because the way that they lauded over winning that FA Cup for the first time was awesome. <laughs> In a way, they were they were super elated at the fact that they had just won the FA Cup for the first time. But do you think... Now, if they had this season in review, there's a bit more of a long-term damage 
compared to the short-term plaudits for the so FA Cup. You're, you're basically asking, they played Chelsea twice in the span of four, mat- four days, right? Would they which have one of those them? Which one of those matches did you want to win? And I think if I were a supporter, of Le- and as a supporter of a, of a smaller club that's obviously not in the Champions League, I would want Champions League football because I think you, if you have this vision of your club taking steps to becoming bigger, then being in the Champions League has to be part of that plan. And you would have thought that this summer that would maybe give them more money to spend, that they could attract a higher profile player and hold on to all of the players that they want to keep. Not that that will necessarily be an issue this summer, but they do have players that some big clubs might take a closer look at. Um, and obviously last time around, right, that's what saw their uh, Premier League title-winning team picked apart. I mean, they won the Premier League and in the space of you know a few months lost some key components there. So I would have thought... I'm torn. It depends a bit. I kind of want to be able to see into the future because if you if you told me that if they'd been in the Champions League next season, then it just means that they get knocked out in the group stages and end up finishing sixth in the Premier League next season anyway, then I'd rather the FA Cup win because I'd rather win something. But if you have this kind of five to ten year vision of where the club will be, you've got to winning the FA Cup is not going to change that vision of the future, whereas winning being in the Champions League might. Yeah, no one. You don't really care next season when people say you knock the FA Cup holders out. There's not like a coup there. It's not like you've just knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League as like a massive, massive club in that respect. I I think I would take Champions League. And, and to be fair, even though there was a bit more of a gap in the uh, Premier League last season, similar with Arsenal, right? They win the FA Cup. I think it's been more detrimental for this club being out of the Champions League than having domestic success. Different, though, because Arsenal have a club that have won a number of things over the past 20 years. So with Leicester, you could kind of say it's different. You're getting to experience winning the FA Cup for the first time for most of their, you know, like that. So that to me is a little bit different compared to just being an Arsenal fan saying, I've seen them win the FA Cup a handful of times already. Who really cares? A ton of times, yeah. It is devalued. I'll value any silverware we get at the moment or get close to. But yeah, I have seen a lot of FA Cup wins as an Arsenal fan, but I have seen the detriment year on year of the lack of Champions League football. Not just European, Champions League specifically. It's it's sucked. The real question, and I guess this could be our final topic for the Premier League, what do you how do you think Harry Kane would answer that question? So if you give if you give Harry Kane now, if he'd said this Spurs season would he rather that Spurs had done a bit better and finished fourth or that he finally won something and that Spurs won the FA Cup? Or League Cup? Now let's go FA Cup because League Cup League Cup is very much the sort of stepsister of cup competitions, right? So let's, let's go FA Cup. Well, Kane did say he was kind of baffled with that League Cup sacking Mourinho because he was like, he's a cup winner. He wins competitions and it baffles me that you would sack someone uh, before a final, but I guess you would never ever publicly come out and say the inverse because I know I know what you're getting at with your question. Like technically, you'd want the silverware, right? No, no, I'm just well. I'm if you know you're not leaving, yet. no, no. What I'm saying is genuinely, Harry Kane's an interesting case because 
He's played Champions League fo- football multiple times with Spurs. They played in the Champions League final, but they've never won anything. And part of the reason why people are speculating that he might want to leave is that he wants to win things. Yeah. So it's interesting then to ask him, like, would you rather have another season if you if we just put this on the table and you get to choose fourth and you get to have a kind of rinse and repeat of a lot of Ch- Tottenham seasons you've already experienced and next year you're going to be in the Champions League group stages and probably make it to the knockout stages and then probably get knocked out in the quarterfinals or something. Or even though it doesn't mean as much money or prestige, you actually get your hands on a trophy. Which would you choose? That I mean that genuinely not in terms of him leaving, just mentality. Which would you think he would actually take? See, I don't... As an American, I still... I don't think I'll ever fully grasp what the FA Cup means to people you know like i i still don't get if fans genuinely do care about it or if they don't like we just talked about how leicester fans were so excited but like were they really that excited you know like if we pulled all the leicester fans and said would you rather be in champions league or have won the fa cup would they choose the fa cup like kind of like we're saying so i don't know i don't i don't think i'll ever get that pulse just because i'm american but i think harry kane does I think he would take the trophy just because I think he does appreciate the domestic league. I mean, he seems like a person who wants to stay in England. He doesn't want to leave. So I think he has a lot of respect for the domestic league in general. So I think he'd take the FA Cup. I think he'd be, you know, to have some domestic hardware he'd appreciate. Yeah. I And and th- does it matter if he makes Champions League? Because they're not going to win. I mean, be honest. They're not going to win it. So wouldn't you rather have something Well, they made win? the... F- they, they made, made the, the final in a season right. you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought they were going to win it, right? So, and no one would have thought Chelsea would win it, and they're in the final. I, I, yeah, they didn't they didn't make they didn't take their chance. I guess is the point really with Spurs in the final. But I think Kane would take the the trophy. I think every year you don't win a trophy on what is an extremely finite amount of career, right? These days as well, um, it just kind of bot- every year puts more pressure on yourself to win something. And I think then you start looking at like the League Cup or uh, a domestic cup competition because you've got more chance, right? Just easily put Spurs are one of the better teams in this country, but they're not one of the better teams in Europe at the moment. So, yeah, I also think, too, if Harry Kane's thinking of his future and if he has any interest in ever playing in the being in the media, which he doesn't really seem to have like the spit control necessarily to be to be in the media, but imagining that he ever is in front of a microphone consistently. Suffering he... Thakatash. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a gay Sylvester. But he... <laughs> Wait, are you just saying that because of how I said it or the fact that I am? And you're just putting the two together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, <laughs> I, I thought it was based off of how you said it. No, it was it was very much how you said it. <laughs> it's the way you tell them, Sam. Now, I guess rounding off the uh, Harry Kane talk, it's worth speculation that has come out today that Mauricio Pochettino will make an incredible decision to leave PSG and return to Spurs. Yeah. He is the bookies' wow, favorites really? now. Yeah, he's gone into two to one, isn't he? I think it's two to one you can get to be the next Spurs manager. It's never. It's always who knows. It could be just pure paper talk, and it's the kind of you know a week with not that much to talk about sports wise until the European finals are played, and maybe someone's just started a rumor. But 
it would make sense, obviously, on the back of PSG failing to win Liga, even though they won their final match of the season. Lille also held on to win uh, 2-1 and were crowned champions of France. Pochettino might feel like this isn't a PSG team that he wants to stay at. There's a possibility that some of the stars, supposedly there are crisis talks going on between Mbappe and the PSG ownership to sort of sort of sort out what his transfer future looks like. So it might just be that he can see the writing on the wall a little bit for PSG in terms of being relevant on a European stage and now decides, you know what? Wouldn't be all that bad to go back to Spurs, convince Harry Kane to stay and see if I can come back as a sort of prodigal son returning to try and save the club. Yeah, I don't know. My, I, th- I think it's actually the perfect opportunity if Pochettino is going to do it. I think this would be the time just to probably do it. But I don't know whether Pochettino would be a little bit more disappointed that obviously his managerial stints outside of Spurs have ended so badly or short-lived, I guess, that then you're going back to Spurs the the club that then got apparently big enough to be able to say we're sacking you because of the results weren't good enough the direction around the time of getting to Champions League finals um, at at points in previous seasons you know right around even like Christmas January competing as well for first second third spot and then getting rid of Pochettino so I don't know who would I don't know who you think would maybe have a Kind of, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it, like the tail between their legs kind of thing here. I think it's a he'd have to have a little swallow a bit of humble pie. I also think Daniel Levy, who's not someone who's prone to admitting to errors publicly, I think it makes Levy look a little bit bad. So I can also understand. I think on both sides, it's kind of that opportunity to sort of, it's like a relationship and they've gone on a break and they've seen other people and then sort of decided, do you know what? We were, we were at the right level where we were. Like I thought I could do better. You thought you could do better, but turns out this is, this is as good as it gets. The one in a hundred where that actually happens. Yeah. (laughs) This is Ross and Rachel. Well, Ross and Rachel didn't end, didn't end that well. They were on a break. Maybe it is. (laughs) Oh yeah. That comes out like tomorrow, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Bloated Ross and bloated Rachel rolling around with each other. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's... Jennifer Aniston is not bloated right now. Ross is bloated. I think it's the perfect time for them to kind of have this marriage, this return. I think Spurs are at a good point where Pochettino might be able to convince people to stay or bring something to Spurs to maybe kickstart their kind of Champions League credentials again in a year's time. Um, and I think the PSG experiment, it, it's going to be extreme unless you go through next season with an incredible success story of winning everything that's put in front of you, defending the French cup, winning Ligue 1 again, Champions League, maybe getting all the way again, or at least extremely close to winning. I don't, I think it's, it's You've so tough it. for him, po- Pochettino now not winning a treble. You could probably forgive like a domestic cup if you won the Champions League, but he has to win the Champions League next season if it's going to be seen as successfully. And I don't think they will. I also think the thing that if you're him, if you do feel like the wheels are kind of coming off PSG, this season you can, in terms of the league performance, you can mostly attribute to Tuchel and how badly they started the season. So you can kind of go like, yeah, we didn't win the league, but 
things did improve when I was there and and we only just barely missed out. And I can blame it on the person before. But then if next season you have the full year and then you don't win it, then not only will you get blamed for next year, but then people might retroactively think, well, hey, you didn't you didn't win the se- you didn't win the league two years in a row with PSG. And we're gonna forget the fact that you were only there for half a season. Now it's that is fully on you. And uh, I guess the other from European football, Atletico Madrid won their final match to win La Liga in a final series of matches actually in La Liga that were quite topsy-turvy. Mm. Barcelona left it late to win, not that they, that really mattered. Real Madrid left it late to win, which could have potentially mattered. And Atletico Madrid came from behind with Suarez scoring the winner and then seemingly really, really, really enjoying the fact that he could kind of point out that Barcelona had made a mistake to let him leave and that he'd gone to Atletico Madrid and won the league. Did, did he really point that out by crying on the pitch for 15 minutes straight? Is that how he pointed yeah. it out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Just sobbing in tears yeah. on his knees. <laughs> well, at least he didn't bite anyone. Which again, yeah, yeah. that's why he was crying. He was just <laughs> very hungry. <laughs> yeah. But interesting, you know, it would have been, we nailed our Premier League predictions. Anyone out there who managed to nail their predictions across Europe. If anyone out there had Inter, uh, Atletico, and Lille wow. their respective yeah. competitions, you've had, you had a good year. That's a hell particularly of a year. Particularly the Lille one. Oh, yeah. The other, the other two I could maybe, particularly Inter, fine. They were basically, I think they were near on joint favorites going into the season with Juventus. But Atletico Madrid were clearly third favorites at the start of the season. And Lille, I don't even know that they would have been in the betting, but certainly not. It wasn't even a market. Yeah. <laughs> PSG started the season at something like 1 to like 20 to win the win Liga. So you were definitely getting good value on Lille no matter what. Did you have any open bets, Eddie, that closed when PSG officially lost the league? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Didn't make it that far. No. That would have been, it would have been disappointing because part of me did expect Lille to bottle it. So, and I was pleased they won because it's, it's nice to have, you know, different winners. Like France, the French league winning one by PSG every it, season is dull. Yeah, it's so. so dominated by a single club. But do you think Atletico Madrid have a, or an opportunity to kind of balance no. of power shifts. Okay, I'll keep talking, <laughs> but I, I don't need to ask any of this question now. But just in terms of like, we all know about the financial troubles that Barcelona and Madrid have in terms of like the debts they now have to deal with, uh, managerial problems with Zidane and Kerman, like Kerman's rightly expected to leave. Kind of end of an era players happening as well in terms of like Messi is getting into the end of his life. Ramos just didn't get picked for the Spain squad. End of his life. End of his career. He's going to die. Uh, Ramos, you know, not getting picked for the Spain squad is kind of feels like an end of an era with that kind of club and player as well. Um, do you think Madrid Atletico have a moment to kind of wrestle some of that kind of too dominant side of things? No. I mean, I get what you're saying, and there's there's some valid points within that. It's different to when did they last, when they won it, 2014? I think, I think it's like six or seven years, maybe seven years ago, I think they last yeah, won it. I think it was around 2014 when they last won it. It's obviously different because that wasn't Messi coming towards the end, and Real Madrid had a much better side. So, 
but I just fully expect, in spite of the financial uh, difficulties that those clubs might be in, I fully expect Barcelona to go out and buy someone good and Real Madrid to go out and buy someone good. And all of a sudden you're looking at Holland playing for Real Madrid and why on earth wouldn't they win the league or Mbappe playing for Barcelona and suddenly they look incredible too. So I kind of put it on hold. If somehow we get to September and this is the status quo, then yes. But otherwise, no, it feels like a blip and everything will return to form next year. And and that's just sort of where Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid are, is they can get there and thereabouts. They can have the odd good season in the Champions League. And then every six or seven years, they can surprise Barcelona and Real Madrid. And the other one similar to PSG that we didn't mention because it was over so early, Rangers over Celtic. That was what the first time Celtics lost in ten years. So that's like another what you were saying. It's good to see other teams win every once in a while. You know, it makes it less yeah. monotonous. And they went unbeaten. They went unbeaten, which is an achievement. And United finished the season unbeaten away from home, right? Which is feels weird because they they were by no means invincible, but that's still quite a quite a bizarre achievement for them to have. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, be. Part of me also wants to see if when fans return to football, probably next season, on the way based on the way things are going, if that also changes things a bit. Oh, that's, that's what Arsenal need, Eddie. That's No, no, missing. that's what Arsenal don't need. <laughs> like, I would say that Arsenal's fan base isn't the most kind of vocal and not having fans in places like away, uh, for away games especially, I think has helped. Um, well, it definitely it definitely means that when you go to the Emirates this season, it's just been silence. Whereas normally you would have described it as like an eerie silence. People talking Ooh. in a library, <laughs> yeah, kind of frustrating natter in a in a public library or something. But but no, good season, and obviously Euros coming on. It's kind of feels like football will be nonstop. Now, other big news from the weekend before we talk about golf and stuff. Uh, obviously, Formula One, which is something we don't pay a lot of attention to, but uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, which I guess is is probably the highlight of the, the sort of Formula One calendar for, for most people in the sense that I think a lot of people like looking at the pictures of the yachts and the parties and stuff took place this weekend. And the surprise of Lewis Hamilton not winning a Grand Prix occurred with Max Verstappen winning instead. But a disappointing weekend for any racist Formula One fans out there <laughs> as Max Mosley passed away, which which is probably the only news from Formula One that we need to pay any attention to. I'll just read an excerpt. Frank, do you know about Max Mosley? The former, was it president of the FIA? Uh, so the kind of governing body that looks after not. motorsports. So just, just to give you an excerpt, uh, Max Mosley was the... What, his father was Oswald Mosley, who was a well-known um, Nazi sympathizer in Britain, who um, I can't remember. I think it's just a British on, just to clarify this, calling him a well-known Nazi sympathizer is underplaying <laughs> his ties to the Nazi party. He was, he was the leader of the British Union of Fascists. So like calling him just a Nazi sympathizer okay. seems it meant that he just thought Hitler was an okay guy. He was out there <laughs> fundamentally trying to be an ally. So, Frank, uh, Max Mosley was caught in um, 
kinky sex parties, uh, sadomasochist sex parties. Uh, one of them, including a, he paid two and a half grand to pay five prostitutes. One dominatrix arrived in the apartment with uniforms and whips, including a modern Luftwaffe jacket. Now, I like the idea of it being modern. Like, did it did it need a modern take? Is there like a Luftwaffe <laughs> memorabilia that are making these jackets? Like, what's the-, the more interesting thing is, was that her... Or did she modernize it or was that like a, on at his request? So he was like, I want to kind of pay homage to my father, but I also want to be progressive. So if you can just <laughs> don't just get a replica uniform, please spice it up a little yeah. bit. As an 88 year old man, I really want to be kind of future thinking with my Luftwaffe interpretations, considering the past I have. So please update this. Yeah. Um, it is said that Mosley was tied up in chains as one of the women beat him with a cane until he bled. Jeez, uh, I mean, this is F1. <laughs> this is this is the side of F1 you don't see. All of that for only two and a half thousand. Is that good? I mean, it's a bargain. Is that a good deal? I mean, I don't really know what the price of prostitutes is, but... In my mind, and also, what year did this take place in? Because it's not recent, right? So there's some inflation. Isn't it like the mid to factor in the mid two thousands? Isn't it? I think something like that. Yeah. So, but five hundred pounds each for a night with, you know, some prostitutes and dominatrix. I it goes back to the kind of uh, that's a steal. Robert Kraft, <laughs> Robert Kraft hand job thing. Like, if you're if you're if you're a billionaire looking for sex workers, why are you not going for higher end i don't know eddie why don't we go to mine and ask him <laughs> yeah sadly max mosley's dead so we'll never be able to do that it was but robert real Kraft shame is available a... <laughs> yes we yeah yeah eddie why now that you said the jobs robert? the monaco grand prix i saw um on espn one of the articles popped up was what's the biggest yacht this year at the Grand Prix, because that's, you literally mentioned it, you know, like all the different yachts that show up. But apparently there's restrictions. You can only have a dozen people on a yacht at any time and no music past 10. So not as many shows. So the biggest one was a yacht called Faith that was 316 feet worth $200 million. The nice part, though, is that you can get a charter for only 1.2 million a week. So pretty pretty good deal. 1.2 million gets you a week on the yacht. What that it gets makes you is a 5k five... prostitutes cheaper. It's a... Is that during is that is that during the Monaco Grand Prix you could get no, it for 1.2 no, million no, no. or is it I'm assuming it's it says just seasonal rates from 1.2 to 1.5 million a week. But it gets so that's you like mid September. It gets you a cinem- a five story floating palace with a cinema spa swimming pool massage room steam room turkish bathroom gym and rumor has it a snow room now i don't know if snow room is cocaine (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know which one (laughs) sounds stranger if it's a room that has legitimate snow coming from it or a room that just has cocaine floating everywhere I mean, for one point two million, I want a room filled with cocaine. <laughs> that's that's. I'm expecting that for that price. I mean, good thing. Thank God it has a pool because otherwise, where are you going to get in the water? <laughs> I mean, yep. 
the, you know, it also has God forbid you'd have to actually get into the Mediterranean. Se- only seven bedrooms that sleeps up to twelve guests, which is surprising. A VIP stateroom and an elevator to link the decks, and it also wait, comes wait. with two jet skis, an electric foiling surfboard, three sea bobs, two kayaks, and a helipad, but helicopter not included. I I don't get the need for the helipad. <laughs> no helicopter. Well, how else can you get easily to and from the boat? You know? yeah. Well, you got the kayaks. <laughs> You can imagine just these millionaires. <laughs> Wait, what's in the VIP stateroom? You're hosting like the king of Norway in this like regal room. Is that the idea, or what's the? It's probably like the fancy dining table. I'm just more intrigued by seven bedrooms, but only sleeps twelve. I mean, you hate being in a double room. <laughs> You're in the double room, really. Like... No, but how small are the how small are the beds in the in the two rooms? Maybe it's twelve beds. You could sleep. That would make more sense. Maybe. Do you think they're like bunk beds? So. No. So if it's Max Mosley, sleeps like seventy six. Oh, they're bunk beds. But speaking of old people who had a good weekend, Phil Mickelson had a return to form, and uh, yeah, he did. Back to winning ways, the oldest major winner of all time at the age of, I think he's 50, right? Yeah, just over 50. No, he's yep. in his 50s, but I think he's actually yep. 50. It's kind of surprising. I thought but, Jack Nicholas would have won later. Nicholas won one in his, in like mid 40s, I think, like 46 or something. Yeah. Maybe I just thought it was older. I that. mean, it makes sense. 50 is old to be winning any elite sporting competition i guess the thing that sucks for mickelson a little bit is this is definitely the shittiest major to win because when what was his last win it was the open in like 2013 or 2012 wasn't it so yeah i mean look i'm I'm not saying if you'd offered me my weekend or his weekend i'm taking his every time and it's not close and i'm sure he's delighted but clearly if you'd also said to him which of the majors, if you can win one of these one last time, which of the majors do you want? This one's bottom of the list, and it's not close well, it's either. the U.S. Open, isn't it? Because yeah. that's the one that's eluded him this whole time, I think. I don't know. You'd want to complete the set, surely? I don't know. Do you really care that much about completing the set? To me, I would want to win the Masters or the British Open. That would be... That would be... I if I'm going to win one more... That's the, those are the ones you get the most prestige for. I feel like that's that's yeah, what you I want to win the Masters, so you can you can set the dinner for the next year. Yeah, I mean personally, I'd <laughs> want to win the Open, just because I do think yeah. it. I know that would be an, this is probably a European versus American divide as to which one kind of holds more sway in a way. But for me, the Open. The Masters has more pomp and circumstance surrounding it just because of, over the fact that it's Augusta, it's only at one place. You got a really, really ugly jacket if you win it. But the the open is kind of makes you feel like you've won at the sort of in the home of golf, even if it's not at St. Andrews. You get a little jug. Yeah, a jacket which you informed us that you don't even keep, right? It stays on the premises. Yeah. So Mickelson's come out and said that he got an invite to the U.S. Open. So I think it's Torrey Pines or Torrey Pines that 
and apparently that's Mickelson's kind of backyard club. He used to play there a y- a lot, so I think there'll be a lot of money on him. I don't know what his odds are for the US Open, but uh, I imagine there'll be a lot of money coming in for him. Well, I do like that he won because, I mean, every major tournament that's been on this past year or two, you'll watch and he's he's very hit or miss. And it seems like he doesn't give a shit either way. Do you know what I mean? Like you'll watch him and he'll having a great round and he's like cracking jokes, kind of ripping on people, smiling. And then this next round, he's shooting seven over and it's the same attitude. So I kind of respect that where he's just he just kind of put it all together for one week and he was still acting the same as he has been these past few years. You know, he still seemed relatively in good spirits, you know, was kind of making jokes. You could hear him a lot on the camera. You know, he wasn't super, super laser focused like some of the other players are where you, you don't even see a smile out of him. You know, like he seemed to take it in stride like he has been. So I, I respect that. I think that's, that's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, my only sh- the only shame for me in that respect was I wish a player had been within one stroke of the lead with, you know, a couple of holes to play. The fact that he always had a bit of a cushion probably helped that. And then the fact that the player... Well, he's definitely got a cushion now. The player that was, and probably close to a stroke too, but the player that was closest to um, to also beating him, right, it was Brooks Kepka, And he also kind of has a I don't give a shit attitude. So it was two players just out there not giving a shit as to who won a few million dollars. That that also probably eased the pressure on him slightly. Like if he had had Tiger, I think his attitude would have been really different if it had been on the 18th hole with Tiger one shot behind him. But because it was yeah. like, uh, if I don't do this, I'm an old guy and whatever. If it had been if he'd been gonna lose to one of the other old guys, and it was then I think he might have felt a bit different. Yeah, I I mean. I think Kepka has to look back at this tournament and think, you know, a few a few years from now, not like next week, but and think this was an easy major that I just let get away. You know, I let Phil Mickelson win a major where if I didn't shoot four bogeys and a double bogey on the final round, I cruise through this. You know, he's not going to get a better chance to win a major when what he had to have beaten was a okay Phil Mickelson. And wasn't even a substantially crazy score. You know, Mickelson just kind of survived the best. Yeah, and it was a tough course, a challenging course. So yeah, but basically Phil just stayed where he was. And I mean, Kepka got level with yeah. him at one point, right? And then and then blew it. But no, I, I, I do agree with you that if you're Kepka, you do feel like that's one that got away. Now, obviously, the real talking point... Actually, before we do that, because we're talking about Phil Mickelson's cushion and stuff, in the build-up to this, I was <laughs> reading about... Because uh, they were also talking about um, fans kind of returning to a major in numbers and just how fan interactions would be coming back and some of the heckling that goes on. So I was reading some of the golfers talking about their favorite heckling moments. And the one that made me laugh the most was... Uh, with Colin Montgomery. Oh boy. <laughs> and, and it was him. It was talking a moment when uh, Montgomery, people were just harassing him because obviously he was really unpopular in the US and he was just getting harassed all, all day. And particularly one guy was just following him around, supposedly just shouting, Hey Monty, Hey Montgomery constantly. 
and then eventually like Happy Gilmore style. Yeah, and eventually at one jackass. At one <laughs> moment, the guy sort of had a change of tact and said, "Mr. Montgomery, sir." And so Colin Montgomery heard this and turned to look at him, and then he went, "Nice tits." <laughs> <laughs> I respect that move. Yeah, I think even the a number of golfers referred to that moment, and they said that basically even Colin Montgomery had kind of a was able to laugh about it. But uh, but no, it was good to see fans back, and obviously, but the real talking point out of the tournament was Brooks Kepka's post tournament interview when he very very openly showed some of his the feelings that he had towards Bryson DeChambeau, who's someone they've had a mixed relationship so far. Kepka's always been critical of him for the slow play. He made fun of him when he tried to get out of it for the ants. Like they obviously don't love each other. Yeah, and then even the one time what was the one time um oh the the Twitter argument they had had to be lashed it was before DeChambeau had won any majors. DeChambeau made fun of Kepka for not having a six pack or being short of a six pack. And Kepka responded on Twitter with a picture of his four major trophies and said, Yeah, I'm too short of a six pack. <laughs> when when DeChambeau had zero. Like that. He kept I this is why I respect Kepka is he like like you said, he does not give a shit. Like he does not like DeChambeau and he does not care about like mincing his words. Like he's gone after him on Twitter. He's ripped into him, and now what you're about to tell us, he's openly showed his disgust. Well, I think the thing I like about it, too, is it's not just some personal feud out of the fact that they don't like each other and that their personalities clash. I feel like it, and maybe this is being too generous to Kepka, but it does feel like his main dislike for DeChambeau is that he thinks he's bad for golf. So it is the slow play issues. It is the issues with all the other rules. So kind of coming out of it is more he doesn't feel like he is a good person for the future of golf. And you're kind of defending, not that Brooks Kepka is a traditionalist by any means, but it does feel as if he's trying, he's only really being so publicly critical of DeChambeau because he thinks that DeChambeau could have a detrimental impact on professional golf and probably golf at all levels. But no, the interview, I don't even know what news source this interview was, if it was with NBC or with the Golf Channel, I'm not sure. It was Golf Channel, I think. Okay. But he's being interviewed to just kind of sum up his final round. And as he is being interviewed, I mean, it's it's if you haven't seen the clip, you should look for it. It's trending pretty much everywhere. It's pretty easy to find. It's only about 45 seconds long, so it doesn't take too much. But as the interview starts, Deschambeau comes click clacking along on the path behind him. And like Deschambeau is one of the few players that's held on to the idea of wearing the old fashioned golf shoes with the cleats that, you know, and I think it's caused a lot of players don't understand why, because there's technology has advanced so far that you don't need those in order to actually get grip. Like you can wear the shoes that all the professional golfers wear now and it's fine. <laughs> Unless it's a torrential downpour, that might change it slightly. In normal playing See, which, conditions, which I think makes that 
more annoying than it's DeChambeau because he is someone who wants every piece of advancement he can with every, you know, like whether it's the club head, the hat he's wearing, the shirt he's wearing, and to obviously be wearing hard spikes that are not giving him any advantage, but because they're traditional and they're hard spikes makes it even more annoying that he does it. And it makes me hate him even more. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes like click clacking along and Brooks Kepa just gets overly just distracted by Deshaun like passing behind him and talking and click clacking and just goes like Jesus fucking Christ and then says that he's lost his train of thought. The guy interviewing him loves it and then says to him, oh, we're going to like love watching that clip back in the, you know, in the in the van or whatever. And Brooks Kepa's like, I don't even fucking care. Like, clearly very happy with this with this clip to just be shared. And that's the that's the amazing thing, right? It's not only the initial reaction, but it's the fact that and you know that they must have spoken with him about it afterwards, because for this clip to have been leaked, if there was any thought from him or people within his camp of like, let's not let that get out there, like they must have said to him. Yeah. Do you, do you mind if, if this goes up on social media or something? Because otherwise, if, if Brooks Kepka cares in any way, he's just going to be, well, I'm not doing interviews with the Golf Channel anymore. Yeah. The whole thing came across as very, that was a genuine feel. I did wonder at some point whether like DeChambeau deliberately came along at that time knowing that Kupka, um was just about to give it. <laughs> oh, that, now that would be good. <laughs> but um, question, do you think in a Ryder Cup year, relationships like that matter? Or lack of, I know it's easy just to like not pair people, but you, nah, just avoid, just avoid each other. Well, you're right though. You, it is two players. You definitely could not pair together. Yeah. And, and, but, and I mean, as you, a ca- you can pair other players enough. Sure. But you, that's team unity. As a Ryder cup, as a Ryder cup cap. I, I mean, a, I think people would always say that Europe beats the USA more often than not because of the team atmosphere. Like the USA obviously has the better golfers most years, but part of the reason why Europe wins is that greater sense of the team. And this isn't going to help if you have two fairly big figures within the team hating each other. And you're probably going to have to pick sides as a player. Like if you're, if you're a young player and you get picked for the Ryder cup now and you're kind of going in and it's like people are having lunch or dinner somewhere and you're like, there's like Team Brooks over there and there's Team Bryson over there. It might be Bryson DeChambeau eating by himself, in fairness. But still, yeah, it is. you're, you're going to have protein to. shakes by himself. Yeah. On his like 19th chicken breast. But you still might have to decide which way you're going. And that's not ideal either. But for sure, too, like, I can't imagine it, but there might be a scenario in which as a captain, you think to yourself, the best combination here is Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau from a, a style standpoint. And yet I can't pair, I can't pair them together because they hate each other. And like the most likely outcome is just Brooks Kepka like hitting a tee shot directly into Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> just like that Simpsons, like that Simpsons clip when he's playing that golf video game. And it's like, you have selected driver when he's on the green. Oh, when he's on the, <laughs> yeah, ball like, is on green. You have selected power drive. <laughs> may yeah, I, may I like suggest feather touch? 
power driving. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think it... Look, the US are meant to have a, a strong Ryder Cup, right? Is it Whistler? Uh, what's it? Whistler Straits, I think it is, or whatever it's called, which is a... Whistling Whistling Straits. Whistling Straits, which is a notoriously good course for US players and the way they play. But I think that kind of thing really matters in terms of... Um, it's their favorites, just to say. So they are 8 to 13 favorites. Europe are 7 to 4, and the tie is 11 to 1. So, what are the odds that those two are paired together? Can't see that. <laughs> are those available? <laughs> no. Interesting bet. I bet you you could get a bet closer to the Ryder Cup on will those two be paired at any point. I'm sure the no will be like <laughs> 1 to 100. But but uh, it would it would make for some interesting drama. Just while I'm also looking at the odds, obviously, uh, Sam, you'd mentioned what will Mickelson's odds be for a U.S. Open at a course that he knows well. And I can answer that the the answer to that question is forty to one. Oof, he probably would have been about eighties. Probably, I mean, forty to one does feel short for him. I mean, you, you, when you look at the caliber of player that's ahead of him there you know it's all the major players so you know he is well ahead of if you think that justin rose is 45 to 1 for example and lee westwood is 66 to 1 you start to throw those players into the kind of slightly adam scott's 80 to 1 you would have expected to see him more in that range than 40 to 1 the CDC, right, has recommended that Americans not travel to Japan. The, G- the U.S. Olympic Committee has come out and saying, said that that will have no impact on whether or not they send an Olympic team, which I find to just be a bizarre statement. If, if you have like government bodies being like, you people should not go there. The Olympic Committee being like, we are going. People need to throw things. But, but like, You're a better kind of human. So we'll look after you more than just like some random American tourist. Growing pressure in Japan, just public opinion seems to be firmly in favor of canceling the games. They're having a mounting number of cases there, although relatively speaking, I guess, compared to outbreaks elsewhere, it's not as severe. It's just relative to kind of, they've managed the pandemic fairly well up until pretty recently. And their their vaccination rate is awful. I think their national vaccination rate is something like 1.6%. And their their aim is to have... Their aim for this by the time the Olympics takes place is just to have everyone in their population over 65 vaccinated, which admittedly Japan is quite an old country. So that's a sizable chunk of their population, but still um, not doing well on that front. But yeah, growing pressure, seemingly the IOC and also the Japanese Olympic Committee have just basically said, it's going ahead no matter what. No possibility of, an, of further delays. No possibility of cancellation. The only question mark is as to whether or not there will be people in attendance. Right now, the, the idea is having locals can attend. But I'm going to guess by the time, if things continue in this way, they're going to plan. It's going to be behind closed doors. Which is going to be weird, right? Because as a non-Frank, you'll probably have better insight into this in a way. But like, as someone who only watches most of the events in the Olympics, during the Olympics, part of what makes it feel like the Olympics is the amount, is the size of the crowds. Like when I watch like a European Diamond League 
uh, track event, part of what makes it feel insignificant is the fact that there's 5,000 people there. I'd say so, 50, but yeah. you went a lot more than I did. <laughs> so, so the idea of watching the men's 100-meter final, but there's no one in the stadium, is going to just make it feel like an amateur sprinting event in a way not the explosion of flashes of cameras and the roar of a crowd it of a lot of all the sports that i haven't really missed having fans in stadiums to watch them but i think the olympics would be kind of one of those things where i really feel like the experience as a spectator is changed by no one being there yeah it'll be a it'll be a little different but i think I think the fact that it was canceled last year and now you're a year delayed makes it slightly interesting because you have these athletes who for a lot of sports, the Olympics is everything and they've had to like wait an additional year. And I feel like they're going to be so like pent up with energy and just ready to go and ready to compete that that might overcome it. I, I honestly think the athletes who the Olympics matter for, are going, you know, they're, they're just going to go crazy now that they can actually compete and, and hold it if they do end up competing. So I think <laughs> yeah. that'll be, I, I think that'll be cool, but I, I don't know. It, it sounds like you're discussing athletes anticipation for the Olympics in the way that like a teenage boy might contemplate losing <laughs> his virginity. <laughs> like it's such a weird, the pent up frustration is just going to explode. <laughs> it kind of is though. I mean, if you have one date marked on your calendar for four years and you train for that event for four years and then six months before they say, actually, nope, scratch that off your calendar push it back a year. I mean that, you know, people are peaking for that. They're, they're dedicating their lives. They're changing their jobs, you know? So I think having this opportunity a year later and having to wait a year longer is going to make it that much more exciting. And that might offset some of the lack of crowds. Maybe. I, I, I don't know because like, do, do you, do you see the crowd in swimming in the swimming events? You hear you, them, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's certain you events where that has yeah, a real feel. Uh, the them. cycling in the velodrome as well. Um, even even Whitley rowing as well. The lack of fans. Sometimes you get swept up as a spectator, right? It's like, it's an Olympic summer. Suddenly now I'm going to be watching ping pong, even though I don't give a shit about ping pong. But I'm going to watch it because like, there's an atmosphere. And I just fear that now I might turn it on and then be like, that turns it. You know what? I just remembered I don't give a shit about ping pong. I guess I should call it table tennis so I don't upset them, right? Because I think already calling it ping pong is going to them. Is gonna get... <laughs> by, the... them. <laughs> by that, I mean the Asians <laughs> who dominate ping pong. Oh, no, 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 you are right. There's sports like that. Like archery is just going to be even more slow. I don't really associate <laughs> archery with fan atmosphere, Sam. I have to that no, might have been the worst the, example. The fact that, the like, fact that even, if it, even if it changed it by like 5%, like no, in honestly, those kind honestly, of sports. You picked, you, I, I congratulate you on maybe picking the only one when I cannot remember. I don't remember someone hitting a bullseye and just be like, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the world just, just erupted. Their fucking minds. <laughs> No, there'll be some where you definitely lose it, like cycling will for sure. Yes. 
be a yes. be one. Mm-hmm. Also, just the rowing, just because of how long people realize they have to scream for. Like they're nowhere near the finish, and you realize that things don't get quicker at the end of it. Um, rowing would be another one to suffer. Yeah, no, pretty much everything really. Now, you, you mentioned just as maybe a final topic. I don't know if if either of you uh, have uh, some little non-sporting topics, but as a, I don't know if you saw, but Pro Football Focus came up with their first power rankings for the upcoming NFL season. Who do you think is the top five in their power rankings? No particular order. I know. Frank has been top fived. Wow. I know. I'm turning the tables on Frank here. Okay. Chiefs are number one. Correct. Bucks are number two. Correct. All right, Sam, name one before they're all gone here. Things just got significantly tougher, but still. I'd still go 49ers. Not in the top five. Packers. Fourth. So just to give you a breakdown so far, in their Super Bowl win probability, they have the Bucks at the as the highest with sixteen percent. Although they're two in the power rankings, they have the Chiefs at fifteen point one percent. They also have the highest graded player on the Chiefs as Travis Kelsey. They have the highest graded player on the Bucks as Tom Brady. Then they have the Packers in fourth with a Super Bowl win probability of 13.8% and with the highest graded player of, unsurprisingly, Aaron Rodgers. All right, I think I know the next two. I'll go Ravens. Ravens are fifth. No. With a Super Bowl win. The the Browns are third. Super Bowl win probability of 4.2%. Great sign for the Ravens in that their highest graded player is left tackle Ronnie Stanley. I know that left tackle is an incredibly important position. However, it feels like if your best player is your left tackle, then that should severely impact your Super Bowl win probability. Frank, you said the Browns. The Browns are not in the top five. So there is one remaining. They're sixth. They've got to be sixth. The Browns are eighth. Wow. Yeah. Is it? Okay. The, I, I think I know the, who. Go for that, it, Sam. It's your turn. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say the. You're, we're going to say the same I, I was going to say the Bills, but the problem with that is their route through yeah. might make the Bills them are lower. third in the power rankings. Yeah. So you I have to separate the Super uh, the Super Bowl win probability, which is separate. I'm kind of by mentioning them together, it might have confused you slightly, but separate from the power rankings. So the power rankings is just them assessing who they think the kind of best teams are. The Super Bowl win probability, you're right, that the Bills dropped to 7.5%. If you compare that with the Packers, 13.8%. And I can assume that the difference in that percentage is not going through the Chiefs. And then closely behind all of them is the Jets. The Browns are that that low. Yeah, but ahead of the... So this is the crazy... There's Okay, so the Rams are sixth. I, I knew they would be high because of... Uh, Stafford. The crazy one. Number seven. Cardinals. The Saints. Like, oh, the wow. Saints are playing they will not four let them go. primetime. Well, the Saints are playing four primetime games this season, I think. And then now you see this. Like, not that um, 
I mean, do people not a didn't watch them that's the last season and realize who their quarterback or quarterbacks are going to be this year? Like, it seems kind of crazy. Well, I what's crazy is it's pro football focus. I mean, they would have had grades on all of that, and I'm I know because I've looked at it before. Last year, they did not grade Breeze that great for a, a lot of games. He got pretty poor grades. So they have to know that going in, unless they think Jemias Winston is going to be the answer. Yeah, and Jameis Winston might good be good too. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, no, the Niners are ninth, fittingly, I guess. Uh, Wait, I want to know who do we think's last? Off. All right, Frank. Who do you who? I won't. Re, I won't react. Frank, who do you think's bottom? I will say this: there are two teams. It's one of two. There are two teams with a zero point one percent Super Bowl win probability, um, but obviously there is a team ranked bottom of the power rankings. I'm gonna go Jaguars. As uh, I was gonna game. go Jets because of the. I think they've got a harder division to come out of. So, the Jets are 28th. They have a Super Bowl win probability of 1.1%. The that's Jags, high. wow, it's high. The Jags are t- are 29th with a Super Bowl win probability of 1.1% as well. The two bottom teams, Bengals, number 31, <laughs> amazed no one named it. Wait, wait, wait. Don't don't tell me it's my Lions. <laughs> so 32 is your Lions <laughs> oh, is... and 31 31 God is damn it. <laughs> 31 is your Houston my Giants. Giants. <laughs> it's the Texans. <laughs> So the, the Duke of Curse is The two teams who you insisted were much, much better than they were showing us last year are now the supposedly, according to Pro Football oh. Focus, the two worst teams in football. How does that feel knowing the Bengals are actually the further up than all of them? <laughs> the Bengals are 27th. The Giants are 26th. So not much. <laughs> yeah. But a, a significant leap, it has to be said, in Super Bowl win probabilities because 0.1% going all the way up to 0.8%, it is, you know, exponentially better. But uh, but no, they are, none of them are projected to be good teams. Yeah, Frank, you've got to give the Bengals some Who's credit. the top NFC East like, team? Cowboys? The top NFC East team Redskins. is the Cowboys, who are 18th. <laughs> Yeah, but the Bengals are above all these teams, and you look at their division, and it's insanely strong. <laughs> some interesting, some interesting ones. You you said the Cardinals; they are sixteenth. The Patriots are fifteenth. So, wow. you know, smack in the middle of the pack now. Uh, the Titans might feel mildly disrespected as always. They're only thirteenth. Uh, the Steelers. Oh, you got to be somewhere. The Steelers are twelfth. Colts are left. Ah, I think the Titans should be above the Steelers. The Colts are eleventh. Um, the NFC West once again looks packed in the sense that when you go on the power rankings, it's the sixth, the ninth, the tenth, and the sixteenth best teams on the Pro Football Focus preseason power rankings. So that is a tough division. Well, sometimes we don't talk a lot about a lot of sports. This time we covered almost all of them. We just need to throw some some baseball. I could give you some baseball talk if you really wanted because there's been... Oh, I've got a baseball. There's been some interesting debate, right, over the the player hitting the home run off of the non-pitcher. I don't know if you saw that debate that came out. Well, the 
pitcher situation, I think, is just interesting out of the fact that it's kind of one of those, he broke one of those unwritten rules of baseball that old people in baseball are so attached to in that he hit a home run when his team was far ahead in a game. And it was also a 3-0 and count. And he swung hard on a three and zero count, so he kind of Ooh. broke. He broke two unwritten rules of baseball in a single goal. Go, for Sam, just to clear things up for you: three and zero count, meaning three balls, no strikes. So it's a hitter's count. And traditionally, in that situation, if your team has a big lead, you kind of let the pitcher throw his pitch. You're assuming he's just going to throw a kind of meatball strike down the middle. But if he misses, then you get the walk. Now. I don't get a lot of the unwritten rules of baseball. It also just always amazes me that America, like, which is such a, in terms of its culture, competitive place, but then in sports, it really insists on this idea of like, I don't know if the game gets, if it's too big of a lead, you need to stop playing because you might hurt the feelings of these other multimillionaires playing professional sports. But the thing that really blew my mind in this particular instance is, if the other team cares so little about this game that they are literally not pitching a pitcher, they have decided that they're not even going to waste like risk injury or waste any kind of stamina of any player who could potentially drag them back into the game. And instead they're just allowing like anyone from their team to give it a go, which in this case is like a, a very overweight, like uh, infielder slash designated hitter. If you're going to do that, then the other team can just swing for the fences as far as I'm care- I can, I'm concerned. Like one team's given up on the idea of winning the game. The other team should try and pad their stats. Yeah, what's the di- – like if you don't care, then you don't care. No. Right? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't get it. It would be like in cricket. Like I mean the, the comparison would be like in cricket if, if, all of, if you're, you're just being absolutely destroyed and England decided, uh, do you know what, we're going to let Joss Butler have a bowl? And then Joss Butler bowled and like Virat Kohli hit a six. And England were like, well, that's not very nice. Think about Joss's <laughs> feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, this mercy rule, I guess it's kind of a mercy rule, isn't it? The whole thing's dumb because as far as I'm concerned, by not playing to the best of your ability and full ability, you're disrespecting them anyway. So all of these little caveats mm-hmm. of like, oh, don't do that. Oh, be nice to us. That's disrespectful. And, and also, even if some of these had like a 0.1% chance of winning and they did. So, yeah. <laughs> like, no, to me, the only way, the only fix to this is you literally say that you, you have the possibility of like an, a forfeit and one without any repercussions, obviously. Because, but if, if, if you could just turn around to the other team and go, you know what? We've had enough. Thanks. You've beaten us fair and square. See you next time. Fine. It would be. A little bit of an anticlimax if you're in the stadium, because <laughs> you could obviously maybe like tactically do it as well, <laughs> right? And there, and imagine a team doing it like the accusations of like a fix. If, if it was like the score was like two to one in the eighth inning and you just gave up, it was like, yeah, we just felt like we didn't have a chance. I, I am so tired, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that would be the issue, but fundamentally, like, if, if you're right, as long as there is a a pers- a, like slight per- I, n- I wouldn't want to see a player show off right which if you think of football right I remember Ryan Giggs once kind of taking Cristiano Ronaldo 
aside after a match when he joined Manchester United because they were winning three or four nil against the team and he started doing like keepy uppies in like the corner and Ryan Giggs took him aside and was like, that's not the Manchester United way of playing. Like, Let me have sex with your wife there. and then that is... <laughs> I was just, just going to say, who the fuck is he to start telling people how to live their lives respectfully? I am going to have sex with your wife. It is going to happen. But stop doing the keep me up. Do you have a brother? <laughs> Question number one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but... He, that bit I get, like the not playing in a way that you wouldn't play in a close game. So like that's disrespectful. The idea of just continuing to be like, I'm out here doing my best because this is what I get paid to do. That's not disrespectful. The one I was going to say is I saw a headline yesterday that Indians pitcher Zach Plesic broke his thumb aggressively taking off his shirt. So <laughs> Indians man- manager Terry Francona said he was, I think, probably rather aggressively ripping off his shirt and he caught it on the chair. It was pretty swollen, so he sent him to get x-rays. And this could end up costing him being out weeks, if not months, wow. if it's broken. Can I can I discuss aggressively ripping your shirt? What happened to the Cleveland off. Indians changing their name? Whatever happened, like they were going to change their name. Oh, COVID, and then, COVID saved that. But and then it was just like, <laughs> now nah, we're not changing our name. We're just back to the Indians. That's what the Washington should have done. Is like, look, we 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 said we might, we said we were going to do it, and then turned out actually none of you really care that much. So we're just we're the Redskins like, again. So this year they just start back up as the Redskins yeah. again. Yeah, they just like they're just like, nah, you know what? We tried it, but they really double down on like all the marketing, the branding, and even more racist mascot. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.